everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Um, only because God gave us the opportunity to meet a good friend of ours by the name of Mariano Rivera. He was uh, the closer for the New York Yankees for uh, quite a while, and Uh, This year, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame unanimously. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, for those of you who who perhaps this is your first Sunday with us at church, um, we started this church three years ago, three and a half years ago. Well, no, a little over three and a half years ago. We started the church, and Mariano Rivera was a catalyst, uh, was an instrument that God used to help us purchase what we call our Hope Center, which is where our young people meet every Tuesday, and every Wednesday, 200 on Tuesday nights, a little over 100 on Wednesday nights. And that's where we feed the, 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 the families and we do pantry for families that are indigent. And, um, and that's where we're planning to do some other projects as well, should the Lord allow us to do so. And so um, he has been a blessing to us. So in our church, when we thank God's people who, you, who were used by God to launch this church, Mariano Rivera is definitely one of those. So we love God for him. And we thank God for his life. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm a Yankee fan, hard, hardcore Yankee fan. And I know we got some Boston fans here. And yeah. th- there's room in heaven for y'all as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, anyway, on that note. So today we're starting a new sermon series entitled Life on the Mound. Life on the Mound. And, 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 and the reason why we want to start this series with this theme is because I want you all to know, and this is what the Lord impressed in our hearts, that we have all been called to live life on the mound. Your mound may be different from mine. Your purpose may be different from mine. Your calling may differ from mine. Your assignment may be different from mine, but we all have a mound, and we've all been called to live our life on the mound. Now, being on the mound is not an overnight position. Being on the mound doesn't happen overnight. I remember when I would watch Mariano play the Yankee games, and and his job, his position was to be the closer of a game. And so what that means is, is that they will have several pitchers that would pitch throughout the first several innings, seven innings. And once they will hit the seventh inning or perhaps even the eighth, in order to secure the game so that the opponent, the opposing team wouldn't win, they will bring in Mariano. And his job was to make sure that no other hitter, no other pitcher, I'm sorry, hitter would hit. That was his job. That no other batter would hit a home run, a base hit. His job was to close the game. That was his job. He only played about two innings per game. And it looks as if he didn't do much, but his job on the mound came with so much pressure. Those two innings, literally, would determine whether the Yankees would win a game or lose a game. On the mound. But this thing of Mariano being on the mound, it didn't happen overnight. This is not an overnight thing that somebody said, eeny, meeny, miny, you, come, no. There's a process 
for you to be on the mount. There are some things you and I have to do in life to qualify us to live life effectively on the mount. Now, now here's the deal. Most, most baseball players that want to be in the league, most of them like to be pitchers. Why? Because if you notice a baseball game on TV, 80, 70% of the camera shot that is taken is on the pitcher. Because the pitcher is pretty much the head of the game. He's the, he's the mind of the game. Every so often you see somebody outfield. Every so often you see somebody talking on first base. Every so often you see somebody in shortstop. But the cameras, 70% of the time, on the pitcher. On the pitcher. All eyes are on the pitcher. And it looks like if you're watching TV and you're looking at the pitcher, you're like, oh, my God, I would love to be a pitcher. Living life on the mound, it seems so fun. It's, he's always on camera. Everybody's taking pictures. He's always on television. And people have a tendency of feeling and saying that living life on the mound is fun. It's attractive. The cameras are focused on the pitcher most of the time. So I ask you today, how many of you guys have ever said, you know what, I am thirsty to be on the mound. If there's anything I want to be, I remember we play softball. By the way, we started softball teams that they're starting in a couple of weeks because we're going to have tournaments throughout the week. I, I remember when I, when I joined the team, everybody wanted to be a pitcher. Everybody wanted to be a pitcher. Because there's something about being in this place. First of all, this is the highest place in a baseball field, the pitcher's mound. You're exposed. Everybody sees you. And you need to be high enough to communicate with your players and be able to send signals. And also, that's how you release the pitch at a faster rate. But everybody likes to be on the mound. But let me tell you something. The glamour of a mound does not start in the mound. The glamour of a mound starts off the, the mound. It starts off the mound. Whenever you see Mariano, and I would see him, he would be like this. Let me put on my hand. By the way, I got his jersey on. I look better than Mariano, by the way. Right? Mariano would have his glove in his hand. And he had his baseball. Right? And I don't know why is it. Why is it that every pitcher always has to spit? I don't, I don't get that one. I don't, right? like, and he goes like this. And he looks to first base. And he looks to third base, and he puts his feet on this white little bar thing here, and he grabs the ball in a specific way, and when he's ready, he lifts up his leg. I can't do that. He, he lifts up his leg, <laughs> and he throws his pitch, and when we look at that, we're like, oh my God, I could do that. I want to be that. I want to be that. I want to be that. Let me tell you something about this. This didn't, Mariano's gift didn't happen on the mound. He didn't, he wasn't born a pitcher. As a matter of fact, did you know that Mariano wasn't even a pitcher when he got selected to the MLB? Here's what happened. Mariano, there were some scouts that went to Panama looking for two or three players that were in a team in Panama. And they weren't looking for Mariano. Mariano was an outfielder. He was in a pitcher. 
They were looking for a pitcher. The scouts came to look for a pitcher and some other players. And when they go to Panama, it so happens that the day they went to watch a game, the pitcher of Mariano's team got injured. And so then the scouts said, okay, we're not going to pick a pitcher. Let, let, let's get one of the other players. There were some other batters there. And so they needed somebody to pitch to highlight the gift of the batter. And of all the people they picked, they got the guy that was outfield by the name of Mariano Rivero, who was not a pitcher. And he comes to the mound. And all of a sudden, he starts striking the guy the scouts came to look for. And then another guy come, and he'll strike him out, wham! And what's crazy is that at the end of that scouting session, who they picked and selected was Mariano Rivera, a guy who never pitched a game in his life. But before he got on the mound, he would practice pitching and throwing and catching off the mound. Let me tell you something, church. The success of a believer it's not when you're up on the mountain. It's not when you're up on the mountain. It's what you do before you get there. It's your consistency. It's the way you live that equips you and prepares you to be where you are. So it didn't always start glamorous. Let me tell you something, church. But there was two things that Mariano had in his game, in his career. Two things. And these are the two things we as Christians, if we want to live life successful on the mountain, there are two things we've got to do that Mariano did throughout all of his career. He had a glove in his left and he had a ball in his right. If you want to live life successful, these are the two things you need to have in your life. The ball represents whatever you give. The glove represents whatever you receive. See, 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 see. Your, your victory will be based on how much you give. Some of us, we want God to use us. Some of us, we want God to do great things in our lives. Some of us, oh my God, I wish I could sing like her, preach like her, do this like her, do this like him. And the question is, how much are you giving so that you can be ready to receive what he, the Bible says, the Bible says, do not be confused. God cannot be mocked. Everything the man sows, he's going to reap. So you want success in your marriage, but what are you sowing in your marriage? You want victory in your ministry. What are you sowing? You want God to open financial doors. What are you sowing in the kingdom? Because if you are not throwing anything, don't expect nothing in return. Victory in this position requires you to have the capacity to give and the capacity of giving will usher you into receiving what God has for you. But here's what's crazy. Mariano's first baseball wasn't this one. This one is a Yankee baseball, an official Major League Baseball. Mariano's first pitch was not a Major League Baseball. So when you saw him on the mound pitching that ball and striking people out, and I remember, and you know how it is, whenever somebody hits a home run and they catch it in the field, they want to run to the pitcher that, that hit it. And can you sign my autograph? Can you sign the ball? Can you sign? I want your autograph. Can you sign the ball? Did you know that Mariano's first baseball was not a real ball? 
Let me show you a video of how Mariano's first baseball looked like. He said, he said, who can tell me I cannot play baseball without a baseball? Stop the video, stop the video. Who, who can tell me I can't play baseball? He didn't have an official baseball, but when you understand there's a purpose in your life, even with the little things you have. See, the problem with many people, many people want to be great when they get up here. Many people want to do well when they get up here. But there's a verse in the Bible that says that if you are faithful in the little, if you're faithful in the small things, if you're faithful in the minuscule things, those things will get you ready so that when you get to the pitcher's mound, you understand that what got you here is those little moments, those little episodes, those little stages in life. And Mo said, listen, my first ball was not an MLB ball. My first ball was... A piece of cloth taped up. What does tape do? It glues things together. It compacts things together. That's why the things that you go through and the brokenness in life and the challenges in life, God has a way of compacting all those things together and, and, and get you ready for this thing called life. I'm here to tell you, every tear you cried, every pain you suffered, every betrayal you've been through, every obstacle you've been through, don't take it for granted. Start making a ball out of that. Start making a purpose out of that. Start making your vision come to pass so that when you come up here, you're not afraid who's batting up. You know that that you know that you know that in your nothing God was faithful and so he said okay I am not going to let my limitations limit my creativity I'm not going to let my limitations stop me in becoming the person God has called me to be so that was his first baseball now he's one of, he was one of the greatest pitchers ever. Let me show you Mariano's first glove as he shows us a replica of how he created his first baseball glove while he was a kid. Watch this video. This is how he did it. He would get a cardboard box, the flapping part of the cardboard box. He would get a pair of scissors, and he would make his glove. I'm not giving you audio because they're having a conversation there. And this is how he did his first glove. He didn't go to an MOB store. He didn't buy it on YouTube. He didn't buy it on, on, on eBay. He got a piece of cardboard box.
But when you look at him today, and you look at how he started, he said, I would never change. I would never change. And I would do it all over again. Because there's something about living life in the process to get to the mound that you begin to value. You begin to value. Did you know that that glove that he built, that was the presentation I was a part of. And in that table, millionaires, bank owners, business owners. As a matter of fact, one of the guys that was sitting at the table said, I'll buy that glove that you just made for $2,000. But had he not been faithful when nobody knew him? It would, the value of that glove is not the material, it's cardboard box. The value of the glove is the process that he went through from being a cardboard box pitcher to being an MLB pitcher. See, your value doesn't come when you stand on a pulpit. Your value comes when you're going through hell and high water and all things is going crazy, but you're faithful, you're consistent, you're moving forward, you're not going backward. There's something about the process that makes your journey valuable, church. So everybody wants to live on the mountain. But are you willing to play with a cardboard box? Everybody wants to be on the mound. But are you willing to make a ball out of a napkin, out of a sock? Because let me tell you, if you can't handle the pressure of playing baseball with a cardboard box, you will not handle the pressure of standing before millions of people booing you throughout a game. But pressure comes with this position. Pressure comes with this position. One bad pitch, and you're the talk of town. One good pitch, and you make history. See, see, that, that's why, that's why, that's why, let me tell you, church, that's why making decisions, premeditated decisions is so important. Because you can make one bad decision, and my gosh, it will harm you for a long time. Or you can think it out and process, say, wait, before I make that decision, what are, what's the worst that can happen? And then after you've realized what's the worst that can happen, then you ask yourself, is it worth it? Because you're one pitch away from making a, make a mistake that you will have to live for a while. Or you're one victory away from becoming the person God has called you to be. And being a pitcher, let me tell you, being a pitcher... You're at the highest place in the field. You being a pitcher, everybody's watching you. You being a pitcher, all eyes are on you. You being a pitcher comes with pressure. But I'm here to tell you, church, that if God has prepared you for a pitcher, you can overcome. You can make it. But you got to have the spirit of the Apostle Paul, you got to have the mentality, rather, that the Apostle Paul had. The Apostle Paul, before he got saved, oh, he was on a Pharisaic mound. He was surrounded by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and all of these, and all of these uh, political people in, 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 in the times of Israel. But when he accepted Jesus Christ, he began to go through his process. And so by the time he stands in the mound of apostleship, he begins to go through the pressure because let me tell you, being a Christian comes with pressure. Can I get a good amen? amen? You're not supposed to be a Christian and life is just as good as it was before you got saved. 
Nowadays, Christianity is a joke for many people. You're a Christian and you do everything you used to do before you gave your life to Jesus. You're an adulterer, you're a fornicator, you're a liar, you're a drinker, you smoke weed, you smoke hookah, you smoke puka, you smoke gruka, you smoke luka, you smoke shuka, you smoke glue, you smoke cat. When you come to Jesus and you stand up on the mound, you're supposed to be at a different level from everybody else. There's supposed to be something about you that lets everybody know in the field, this guy is different. This guy's on the mound. There is something in his life that God has placed in his life. And the Apostle Paul says this, when things got tough, look what the Apostle Paul said. He said, now, in all these things, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, now in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying? He says, I am on the pitcher's mound, and it gets tough on the pitcher's mound. You got the temptation of the height and the depth. You got temptations all around you, but I'm here to tell you the love of God in my life and my decision to serve God with all of my life will not be able to separate me from the love of God. Listen, if there's something the enemy wants to do in your walk, is get you off the mound. But I'm here to tell you, stay on the mound. Even as tough as it might get, stay on the mound. Even when everybody backstabs you, stay on the mound. Not because of who you are, but because of his love for you. Stay on the mound. Stay on the mound. Be faithful in your home. Be faithful in your marriage. Stay on the mound. Be faithful in your relationships. Stay on the mound. Be faithful to your calling and stay on the mound. But how do you do it? Somebody say practice. If you don't know what practice is, I want you to Google Island Averson's video on practice. But let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever heard of Michael Jordan? I know we're not talking NBA, but Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan led his team to six NBA championships. Listen to me. He was named the finals MVP every time. In 2001, a panel of experts named Michael Jordan the greatest athlete in the 20th century. What, what, a, what, what a position. The greatest athlete in the 20th century. But let me tell you this. He was cut off from basketball in high school. They kicked him out the team because he wasn't good enough. Imagine if Michael Jordan, if Michael Jordan, right here in the stage of his life, while he was playing basketball in high school, and they kicked him out the team, he would say, you know what, I'm leaving. But you know what he did? He pressed on. He believed there was a mound in store for him. He believed there was more. So the question is, how did he ever pass that moment of failure? You know what he was? He was relentless. Michael Jordan was relentless. And we see it. The, the Bible. History says 
that Michael Jordan would shoot 300 baskets a day. A day. Not, not 300 baskets a week. 300 baskets a day. He was the first one in, and he was the last one out. Because his philosophy was this. His philosophy was, I play to win. Nowadays, players play to get money. Nowadays, players play to get fame and endorsements. Michael Jordan's philosophy was, I'm not playing just to play. I'm playing to win. I'm playing to make it. And I will not let no one get in the way of me and my competitive enthusiasm to win. And that's the picture, church, of what it means to play to win. And in this mound called life, the Lord is telling you, he wants you to play this thing called life with the mentality of, I am playing to win. He wants you to be relentless in your game. He wants you to be enthusiastic in your calling. Did you know that Babe Ruth, a baseball player, he struck out 1,330 times, but he also hit 714 home runs, and he became a Hall of Famer. The great Mariano Rivera blew a few saves, yet he's still to this day the best closer of all time and the first unanimously elected Hall of Famer. He, he, he missed some games. He screwed up some games, but he would have come the next day on the mound. He'll mess up sometimes. He'll throw a wrong pitch. He'll see the wrong signal. But in spite of the failure, next day, I don't know what the enemy has put in your path to cause you to fail. You might have failed them last night. You might have failed them last Thursday. You might have failed them last week. But don't you dare stay in your pity party. Get back on that mound and say, today is a better day, and I'm going to win this thing to the glory of God. You have to play to win. But you have to be relentless. Let me give you a definition of relentless. Relentless means steady and persistent, not to be placated or appeased or moved by entreaty. It means to be consistent, to stay, to be solid, to be like a palm tree in the middle of a storm. You're rocking left and right, but you ain't moving. I'm staying right here. That's what God is calling. He is calling a relentless church. He is calling for relentless husbands, relentless wives, relentless young people that will stand and say, everybody may bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to win to the glory of God. To be relentless means to be determined, to be ferocious, to be single-minded, to be single-minded. When Mariano's up here, he would tell me, Gabby, I'm up here in the, on the mound. There's 20, 30,000 people screaming, especially when we play at another team, at a, at a way team, and everybody's booing, and everybody's booing, and everybody's booing, and everybody's talking bad. And you know what? He says, I've developed throughout the years the capacity to dwindle the, the screaming of the crowd. He says, and I'm up here, and everybody's screaming, and I don't hear nobody. The only ones I hear is first base talking to me. 
I hear second base encouraging me. I hear third base encouraging me. I hear the, co the, cap, the coach on the, on the bleachers. He is giving me codes. And even though I can't hear him, but he's speaking in a language that they can't understand. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. Because when you don't know what to say, and when everything is blown around you, you got to live the world in the life of the Spirit, church. He said, Pastor, I can't explain it. But I was able to hear my players talk to me in the middle of 20, 30,000 screaming against me. That's what relentless means, to be determined, to be single-minded, to have a goal. And the goal is, I am going to make this. I might have failed yesterday. I might have failed the day before. But like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14, look to what, listen to what he says. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ, somebody say Christ, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting the times I flunked. Forgetting the times I, 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 I allowed home runs. I'm going to forget the past and straining toward what is ahead. And here's how Paul says he does it. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that's the mindset. That's the goal. That's the perspective. God wants us to be relentless. He wants us to play with the mentality of winning. So the question is, how do we play to win? I'm going to give you three things, and we'll close. How do we play to win? Number one, don't focus on your past. Don't focus on your past failures. Don't focus on the times you tried to serve God and you failed and you failed and you failed and you failed. Don't focus on your past. Let me tell you something about a game. A blown game does not mean a blown season. A blown game does not mean that that will determine you for the rest of your life. The book of Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says, when I fall, I will arise. When I fall, I will get back up again. When I fall, I will remember that he loves me. And that's what the apostle Paul said, who shall separate me from the love of God? When I fall, I get back up again. So number one, don't focus on your past. Number two, look forward to what lies ahead. Your dreams and your destiny in God. Look forward toward that. Because I'm here to tell you, church, you haven't seen anything yet. God's glory, God's power, God's signs and wonders over your life. You are, I'm telling you, you haven't even touched the surface of the great things that God has in store for you. But the thing is, you're too busy looking backward at all the mistakes you've done that you haven't lifted your eyes to the hills where your help comes from, church. God gave Joseph a dream. A dream bigger than him. God gave Joseph a dream bigger than his family. 
But here's one thing about Joseph's dream. Joseph never let the naysayers cause him to lose hope in his dream. Joseph never gave up. When he told his mom and his dad, I saw the sun and the moon bow before me. When he told his brothers, I saw the stars bowing down before me. And they put him in a pit and they put him in prison and they put him in Potiphar's house. In all of that stage, Joseph never gave up, church. And you have some dreams God has given you. He has placed some dreams in your heart, church. And I'm here to encourage you, do not give up. So number one, don't focus on the past. Number two, look forward at what lies ahead. And number three, this is important, surround yourself with the right people. You have to learn to surround yourself with the right people. You have to surround yourself with people who believe God's purpose and God's dream and God's plan for your life. Surround yourself. And I tell you that too, just make, just reiterate on what we said two weeks ago. You are not created to do life alone. That's why you need to join a hope group. You need to be part of one of our hope groups because you, there are moments in life when you feel alone. Have you ever noticed in a baseball game when the pitcher is, is, is just giving hits and giving hits and giving hits? What happens to the catcher? He comes to the mound. What happens to the first baseman? He comes to the mound. What happens to the manager? He leaves the bleachers and they come and they surround him and they encourage him and they speak to him and then he's got ready to pitch again. You need to surround yourself with the right people. Because let me tell you, in baseball, like in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the picture of Hebrews chapter 12 is literally a coliseum. It's a coliseum. The writer of Hebrews is, is painting us a picture where athletes will combat and, and, and fight because the, the whole gladiator concept comes from Rome. And so he uses that image of being in a Colosseum to say this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And here's how we're going to do it. The writer says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So when you're on the mound and you got a cloud of witnesses booing you and you have your enemies, because let me tell you, enemies are good at exposing your failures. Can I get a good amen? When you do something nice, nobody posts it on social media. Do something wrong, see what happens. Cloud of witnesses. But what does the writer tell us? In the, midst of all, in the midst of all these clouds of witnesses, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what a pitcher does. Everybody's screaming at Mariano, and he's looking at the catcher. Everybody's putting up signs and, and, and putting up remarks, and everybody's screaming at him, and he's, his eyes are fixed. His eyes are focused. He's looking at the pitcher. And here's what's crazy. All he had was one pitch. There are pitches that could throw a curveball, a slider, a fastball. Mariano had one pitch. And every time he'll get on that mound, he'll throw the only pitch. You know what's crazy? The, the batters that were going to bat, they knew what he was going to bat, what he was going to pitch, because he only had one pitch. One pitch. He mastered the gift of one pitch. 
He mastered the gift of doing one thing right. This is what the psalmist says. One thing I have sought of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I will be in the house of the Lord. It was one thing David was after. And it was that one thing that put him in the, in the, in the palace. It was one thing that David was after. And Marano had one pitch, and he would always look at the catcher. And the catcher, yes, seen the catcher, he's there. Lord, help his knees, right? And he's going like this. And nobody knows what he's saying, but the pitcher is in a frequency with the catcher. And they're talking to each other, fixing his eyes on the prize. And what's the prize? I'm going to strike this sucker out. I'm going to strike him out. With what I've been doing all along, I'm going to strike him out. With my prayer life, I'm going to strike him out. With my seeking God, I'm going to strike him out. With what I've been doing all these years, playing with, with balls made out of socks and gloves made out of, I'm, I'm going to strike him out. Because what I've done in the past has got me this far. This is exactly what I'm going to do. And he throws that pitch. And the batter who is anticipating the pitch can't hit the hit. And, he, and he's coming. Mariano's coming in a few weeks. He's going to come here, and he's going to tell us a story. And he tells me, he said, Gabby, I would throw the same pitch, but there was something about the pitch that when it was getting close to the strike zone, it would move to a different direction. And he was like, Gabby, and, I, and when I would throw it, I didn't throw it intentionally to go that way, but, but it would just, right before it got to the strike zone, it would flip. That's why, that's why the, the batters were going crazy with his, he had one pitch, but it would go wherever the ball wanted. And he was telling me, Gabby, it wasn't me. I tell you, it was God. He'll tell you. He said, Gabby, it was God. Because I only had one pitch, and I would throw it every time, but when it got to the strike zone, it will shift. It will move. It will go up. It will go down. And this is why when you live life in the mound, and you're faithful in your consistency, God will take that for his advantage to reach people to the glory of his name. But you have to be consistent. You have to be integral. You have to be faithful. And you have to be relentless, church. When I look at the Bible and I see men of God who are relentless, Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis, God tells him, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Leave your house and the land of your father into the land I will promise you. And Abraham starts walking relentless in obedience, not giving up. When I look at his outcome, I see a man who was relentless. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, when I look at a man by the name of blind Bartimaeus, who was blind, who lived unable to see. Yet when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he became relentless. And he began to scream, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon him. And the fans and the crowds around Jesus began to tell him to be quiet and to hush. But he cried even the more. And he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he got his miracle because he was relentless. When I look at the woman with the issue of blood, bleeding for 12 years, yet she said in her heart, if I touch but the hem of the master's garment. And she lowered himself and went to the floor. And in the midst of the crowd, she went and she camouflaged behind the gowns and the clothing and the garments until she touched the hem of his garment. And miracle, virtue, power came out of Jesus. When I look at Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, who were relentless to stand 
and defend their faith in the midst of King Nebuchadnezzar and his statue. While everybody bowed down, three young boys stood up. When I look at Paul, as we read in Romans chapter 8, 35, where he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm going to keep preaching Christ. I'm going to preach believing Christ. I'm going to believe in Christ even if they kill me. Even, he said, if I live, I live for Christ. And if I die, I win. That's the mindset of a believer, that we understand that people who are relentless will always live victorious in the mound of life. Church, we need to be relentless. Can I get some piano play, please? We need to be relentless. We need to be relentless. You need to be determined. You need to take this ball and start sowing. You need to start understanding the power of giving so that you can enjoy the results of receiving. You need to start taking the things God has placed in your life. How many people in this room God has given you talents and you're not giving it to Jesus and to the call and to the ministry? How many of you God has given you resources, finances, and you spend it all on your own? But if you don't throw a pitch, don't expect to receive a pitch. If you don't sow, don't expect to receive. So as I close, we need to be relentless. But relentless about what? Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 10. He says, yes, furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. So the question is, are you willing to pay the price to receive the prize? Because God wants his church to be relentless. He wants us to be steadfast. He wants us to be persistent. He wants us to be single-minded, to be determined, to be uncompromising. We need to take this life with this mentality. I'm going to play to win. I'm going to play to be faithful. Sin is not an option, church. We're playing to win. So as I close... For you to be relentless and win. Here's what you need to do. Number one, forget what's behind you. Number two, keep your eyes on what's ahead of you. And number three, surround yourself with the right people. I want everybody to please stand up on your feet. I told you, friend, I was going to count to three. I'm going to count in about two minutes. Because the Lord brought you here, friend, today. To give you tools. To put some tools in your hands. He wants to take you from isolation, from obscurity. And he wants to give you a calling. And he wants to remind you that you've been called for greater things. And here's what he's going to put in your hands. The capacity to sow and reap. Sow and reap.
And the more you sow, the more you reap, the greater he takes you. And the more you sow, the more you reap, the farther you go. And the more you sow, the more you reap. And it will go on and on till God can trust you to be on the mound. And put you in a place of purpose. You need to be on the mound for your family. You need to be on the mound for God's calling over your life. You need to be on the mound for your future. You need to be on the mound. You, God didn't call you to sit in a bleacher. God called you to be on the mound of life and win this game. So friend that are here today, if you want Jesus and invite him to be the captain of your life, the coach of your soul, he's inviting you right now to come and he wants to put something in your hand he wants to put salvation in your heart. He wants to put purpose in your life. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to please close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to count to three at the count of three. If you're here and you want to live life on the mound with Jesus, with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand, shoot it to the sky like a rocket in the air when I count to three. And I'm going to pray with and for you. All over this room, if you want Jesus, not religion, not a church, Jesus, if you want Jesus to step in your game, Jesus, to step in your life, Jesus, to change the course of your history, Jesus, if that's who you want, at the count of three, raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I want to pray. I see one hand to the glory of God. Anybody else? 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 Another hand to the glory of God. Come on, put those hands together. Here's what I want to do. That young boy that raised his hand, that young man that raised his hand, I want you to take another step. Come out of your chair. Come out of your seat. Walk this way. As they come, church, give, I know it's hot, but give God a hand, praise. They come into the pitcher's mound. We got a young man right here as well. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want to congratulate you on making the best decision of your life. It's the great, I did it 30 years ago, and I'm so happy. 30 years ago, the best. I bought cars, made mistakes. I bought, I bought things, bad mistakes. This decision of having Jesus is the best decision I've ever made. And today you're going to do it. So here's what I want you to do. Repeat after me this prayer and close your eyes. Church, help me pray them through. Repeat after me. Close your eyes. Say, Jesus, on this day, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe Jesus died for me so that I can live for him. So today, I make the exchange. I receive Jesus. I declare him to be my master. And with your help, I will serve you. I will live life on the mound till you come back for me again. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, church. Amen. Guys, come this way. Come this way. Like
Hallelujah. You may be seated. We're living in we're living, we're living in about seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes, ten minutes. We're leaving. But listen, church, I want to charge you all today. I want to charge you all today. Bring a friend to church. Bring an unsaved person to church. Bring somebody to church next Sunday. Because right now, this sermon we're preaching, there's about, I don't want to exaggerate, but there's about anywhere from 12, 10 to 12 churches right now preaching the same sermon in Pennsylvania, in Virginia, in St. Cloud, in Port Ritchie, in Pointiana. We have about 10 churches that for seven weeks consecutively they're going to do the same thing and we're believing God that in all of our churches people are going to come to the foot of the cross and come and find Jesus and at the end of the seven weeks we're all going to celebrate how many people got saved and how many people got baptized so I need you church to bring a friend bring a friend don't come to church alone bring somebody to the house of God and let's grow this church to the glory of God is that amen can I get a good amen God bless you God keep you We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.